Well, hello there, and welcome back to Vegetarian Zen, a peaceful place for vegetarians, vegans, and the veg curious to share tips for living a more compassionate plant-based lifestyle. I am one of your hosts, Vicki. And this is Larissa. In this episode of the Vegetarian Zen Podcast, we welcome Sky Michael Conroy, aka The Gentle Chef. Sky is a vegan chef and author of several vegan cookbooks, including the latest, Crafting Satan. And I learned how to pronounce that. Thank you, Sky. Crafting Satan, creating homemade plant-based meats. Sky is going to talk to us about his journey to becoming vegan and share how he became a vegan chef. We're also going to talk about his book, Crafting Satan, which can help you break away from commercial mock meat products, which are highly processed, and learn how to make your own delicious versions complete with all the trimmings. But before that, let's hear from one of today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Golden Apple Roundtable. Who are the members of the Golden Apple Roundtable? These are the folks that help ensure that the lights stay on at Vegetarian Zen by providing us with monetary support via Patreon.com. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get support from their fans, followers, and community members. Many people don't realize that there are costs involved in putting together a podcast, but we do incur costs for media hosting, website hosting, equipment, etc. Any monetary support that we receive through Patreon goes directly back into the cost of producing the show and keeping it going free to our listeners. If you're interested in supporting us on a monthly basis, please head out to patreon.com forward slash vegetarian zen and there you will see a video of Larissa and me. And in that video, we discuss the mission of Vegetarian Zen. On the right-hand side of the page, you're going to see some various support levels, anywhere from a dollar a month to $50 a month. And you can also customize your uh, level of giving, by the way. Those are just some suggestions. Certain levels will qualify you for some Vegetarian Zen swag, such as a car magnet, recyclable grocery bags, stickers, or a t-shirt. Even a dollar a month can go a long way to help keep the podcast going. So thank you to our current, our past, and our future Golden Apple Roundtable members. Thank you. If you're not interested in contributing on a monthly basis, we also have a one-time button located on our website that says buy us a juice. If you go to vegetarianzen.com forward slash support, you will see that at the bottom of the page. And you can provide us with a one-time monetary contribution to help support the show. All right, and we did get some love from Jennifer Harwood, one of our listeners who made a one-time contribution to us on our website. Thank you so much, Jennifer. We really appreciate it. Everything, as we've mentioned, that we receive goes directly back into supporting the cost of the show. So thank Ooh, you so much. Thank you, Jennifer. All right, are we ready to get into our interview with Sky? Yes, and this is going to be fun. Yes. So Sky Michael Conroy began his journey as a vegan chef just as a hobby, but he evolved as he studied the culinary arts in depth. And in 2014, he received the plant-based professional certificate of completion from Ruby Cooking School taught by chef Chad Sarno. All right. So are you ready to bring Sky on the show? Let's do it. Welcome to the show, Sky. Hi, Vicki. Hi, Larissa. How are you hey, doing? Good. It's so good to have you here. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate All right. Well, we're looking forward to talking about your book on Satan. And thank you for, <laughs> before we hit record, reminding me how to pronounce it. And I know like some of these are a little subjective, but your book, Crafting Satan, we're really excited to talk to you about. But before we do that, can we? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, originally, I'm from Southern California. I grew up there, military family, and I 
moved to Fort Wayne, let's see, about 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And uh, I was a hairdresser for 27 years. And I had to leave the business due to disability. And when I was here in Fort Wayne, I was getting kind of bored being on disability. And I thought, what am I going to do with myself? So I was really into cooking. And I started at the time getting into veganism and started experimenting with vegan cooking and started a blog on or a small group on Facebook and just a few readers that followed me. And somebody said, well, why don't you write a cookbook? You know, you're really good with these recipes. And so that's kind of how it all started. I uh, just got really into the vegan cooking. And a lot of it was, you know, I've been vegan 11 years. And at the time, there weren't a lot of really good commercial options for food um, as far as meat analogs and dairy. So that's, that's kind of how I got into yeah. it. I wanted to learn how to do it for myself. So I started researching the ingredients and just doing a lot of experimentation. And, you know, being at home all the time, I had the time to do it. So um, it just kind of the first cookbook started from there. It was, it's all text. That's all my cookbooks up until this new one are all textbooks. And this one is I'm so happy with because it's professionally published and it's beautiful glossy photographs and it's just I'm I, I feel like I've really come full circle and this is kind of um my shining star right now let's put it that way so yeah it so that's kind of how it all started book. yeah yeah, yeah. isn't it pretty book. they did such a yeah. great job yeah if you wanted to know a little more I I have a uh, I live with my partner and um we do cat rescue also we have 12 cats and one rescue bunny so Aww. yeah so that <laughs> well, keeps us pretty busy yeah yeah you've got us beat. we've got three cats and we have two dogs so <laughs> there you go there you yeah. go well, that's a handful too so <laughs> pretty pretty big handful yeah right they, like i said I, we're hoping they don't um they, they stay a little, I, we they haven't heard a peep from them yet so yeah, yeah they're being pretty good right now and that's cool yeah. if you need to take a break that's fine <laughs> yeah well I, I know you've done other books as well in addition to your satan book that just came out which other books have do you, have you done okay oh boy you're gonna put me on the spot trying to remember well i try to cover all the different analogs um okay well i saw my one first, on eggs right the, on yeah eggs. The, i have one uh the vegan eggs cookbook and then I also added some of those recipes. I have a really large cookbook. It's kind of an encyclopedia of vegan cooking, and it's called Cook and Let Live. And it's also a textbook, but it is packed. It's a big book, and it has pretty much a little bit of everything in it. It's a general cookbook. What a cookbook. great title. Yeah. Cook and Let Live. Yeah I, just kinda, yeah, I just kind of went off of the live and let live kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I got the vegan eggs. I started off, my very first cookbook was the Gentle Chef cookbook. And it was, um, and it was before I did any professional training as a chef. It was kind of just the results of my Facebook group, the recipes I had, a, you know, acquired, and so I just kind of put it together into a cookbook. Then I kind of went off into the specialty cookbooks, and the next one was the non-dairy evolution cookbook, um, which I started doing the vegan cheeses and the sauces and things like that. Then it went into my first Satan cookbook. And that's what this new cookbook is based off of. So this new cookbook is essentially, that's how, I guess, a second edition of that cookbook from 2014. Only this one has 
is the result of six more years of experimentation and tweaking the recipes and perfecting them and adding new techniques such as using the instant pot for cooking because a lot of people really jumped onto that Uh, and i didn't even have a pressure cooker back in 2014 so um so kind of went from there then i did the, the vegan eggs then i got into uh also explored uh vegan seafood um making seafood analogs so yeah i've kind of covered all the different uh analog it it was kind of my niche because there's so many great vegan chefs out there and i thought you know i'm just going to be another another one that's trying to make my name so this i kind of found my niche with the analogs and it really it was a good formula for me and it really worked well so yeah, and those are very, uh, they can be very intimidating to people. Mm-hmm. So that's oh. why I think it's really good. That's a really good area. It, yeah, I, yeah. And it, um, yeah, I know what you mean, because um, it took a lot of experimentation to figure this out. So yeah, and a lot of people just don't have the patience to do that, or mm-hmm. they don't want to waste the ingredients. So I kind of did it for them. You know, I just had the time and put a lot of the money into it, a lot into the ingredients. And uh, so, you know, basically what people are paying for when they buy the cookbooks, my first cookbooks, since they're all textbooks, they're paying for the expertise or the the knowledge that went into them and the, the time and the ingredients. Right. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it's something that you really enjoy doing because it is a lot of, of experimentation and it, I know it, it's very time consuming and uh, probably, uh, you know, if it were me, it would be a lot of fails and a couple of successes, but, but it sounds like, you know, you've really mastered um, whether it's Satan or, you know, any of the other analogs. So it's, it's gotta it's, be a labor of love. It is. And I, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I, I sort of can, think of myself as having a muse that inspires me she's sort of my creative muse and i can sometimes i feel like i'm really on in like things that i make turn out right the first time and then i'll be kind of off sometimes and i just start really doing a lot of failures and so i have to set things aside for a while and uh, i love that yeah and then i just feel like my muse is with me it's like she she comes and goes and sometimes (laughs) when she's here it's like just i'm just like really nail it Right. So right now I'm even, I, she's kind of very active right now. And I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of advancing even more into uh, making the color of the meat analogs better and in doing like marbling of the, the Satan meat, you know, like putting in the marbling to make it look very accurate. So, yeah. Right. yeah Cause you know, we all kind of, we eat with our eyes, let's face it. And if we're used to something from our childhood or from our family traditions, we kind of want it to resemble that to some degree. And I think we're going to tempt other people who want to explore this. We're going to tempt them a little more if it's something that's very familiar to them. Okay. So that's such a great point because I think some of the criticism you hear from people who are critics of the analog meat uh, is that, well, I don't want to eat meat. So why would I make, why would I want to eat that? And okay. I agree. If you're, if you're like completely turned off by that, then don't eat it. But I think it's true that like for me growing up in texas born raised and like i said i will die in texas because my family's here i love texas and it's heavily meat based it's heavily meat centric (laughs) it is it is we grew up on barbecue and Uh you know i'm hispanic and my family was like every sunday was barbacoa and big red that's a big thing down here in in south texas barbacoa big red that's what your dad came home with a with a couple of pounds of barbacoa which is like a shredded beef kind of thing uh and tacos and big red and that and so to 
I'm 50, I'm going to be 53 this year. And that's a big habit to have and not to get those cravings every now and then is, is something it's a big task. So why not? Right. Something and like I can relate. I'm from Southern California. Right. So we had a lot of the Mexican cuisine, you know, the carnitas and yeah. um, the tamales and, you know, it's like so used to that. So, um, yeah. And that's why, so I'm trying to satisfy all those different cravings that people get you know it's interesting you mentioned that the texas because i just saw i was watching a, a program called food paradise and they were talking about a stadium down in texas that has 24 inch hot dogs and they're just everything is just so hedonistic as far as the meat offerings and i thought and these people are just <laughs> chowing down on this i thought how are we going to convert people to vegetarian or vegan if they're so hooked on this so we have to provide options. Otherwise, we're never going to get them to do it. So, you know, just it's, I love tofu. Don't get me wrong. But if you give somebody at a tailgate party some grilled tofu I, on a bun, they're just not going to go for it as much as if it resembles something they are familiar with. Yeah. Well, down here in yep. Texas, that might result in violence. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so for, for people who don't know, what is Satan? Uh, basically, Satan, uh, it comes from uh, the Far East. And I think it was the Buddhist monks who kind of figured it out. Uh, it's just the protein from wheat, it's wheat gluten. And they figured out how to prepare it so that it resembled meat. And basically, uh, I think they, they kind of started out by making a, a, a dough out of flour and water um, and then just rinsing the starch away from the dough until they were left with the protein portion of the wheat dough, and which is very uh, stretchy. And when it's cooked, it's very meat-like. So that's kind of how they figured it out. And there's still a lot of um, communities or groups, even groups on social media that are very into the washed dough method. You know, I use, I use a concentrated bite of wheat gluten in my recipes just for, because it's easier. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's one of those things too, that I've had seitan the first time I had it, I, I think it just really depends on how it's cooked. Cause the first time I had it, I thought, Oh, I don't like this, but then I had it cooked very well. And I think it's like anything else, right? You can say with anything pretty much that, but the first time I had it, I thought, oh, I guess I don't like seitan. But I think sometimes you just have to give it a, ch a chance in a different way, right? right? Which is because I think I had it at a, the first time I wanted, and Larissa, maybe you can mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I think we were at a, at a vegetarian restaurant here and I had the country fried steak. Yeah. And it, they, I think it was seitan that they used. It was. But it, I think it was the breading they didn't get. So I don't think it was a seitan so much as the breading that wasn't flavored very well. Right. So was it, was it more sorry. of a texture issue or a flavor issue? I think it was the flavor issue from what I recall. I'm not too okay. sensitive on textures. Larissa is very sensitive yeah, on textures. I'm very sensitive on textures too. Yeah. yeah. Well, and here's the thing with... Um, the homemade seitan, a lot, I get a, a lot of people say, you know, why does it taste like it has a strong undertaste of wheat? And it's very true for some reason, uh, when you're using the concentrated form of the wheat gluten, it tends to have a stronger undertaste as opposed to washing the, the dough and rinsing the starch away. It's milder, but it's not, I don't, 
and I know people will crucify me for saying this, but I don't find it is that you can do as many things with the washed dough as you can with the concentrated form, like making sausages and you know things like that. So I use just a lot of heavily, you know, I heavily season uh, my dough so that it kind of overrides that under wheat taste. Mm-hmm. And it's for some people, it's uh, an acquired taste. I mean, it took me a little while to get used to it. I have to say that it was because I have really sensitive to the wheat flavor. Other people not are not as sensitive to it. And then also, like you said, textures, if it's, if it's not prepared properly, it can be spongy or it can be excessively chewy. So, it, you know, there's the little fine nuances in how it's prepared to making it really, really good. So yeah. there's definitely an art form in it. Okay, so I know we had a question from our Facebook group. I mentioned our Peas and Carrots Society. What's up, guys? That's such a cute name. I like that. (laughs) Um, And we had a question from one of our friends, Tracy Rush, who asked about the difference between seitan and tofu. And I would say probably just what it's made of, first off, would be like it's like you said, the wheat versus the tofu is the soy. Right. Uh, Is there is there any any like maybe in the difference in, in cooking them, do you, do you, obviously there's again, a difference, but anything that stands out to you with respect to that? Well, yeah, well, yeah, because, well, okay. So you have seitan first of all. And so I use that for certain, uh, use that mostly for just the beef analog because of its texture. Um, tofu. Yeah. Tofu is made from soy milk and it's, so it's the curds of soy milk and that are pressed into a block. So it's, yeah, it's a very different thing. I, I most people would use like maybe crumbled tofu for like a, as egg alternative, um, or you can slice it and fry it, that kind of a thing, but it doesn't really have, um, the chewy texture that you would get, um, f- from the gluten. Now, here's the thing that I do with a lot of my analogs. So, so when you're starting to explore all the different types like chicken and pork and things like that, I combine the tofu with the gluten and I get really unique textures doing that. So I start, I kind of utilize both of them. I use the wheat protein and the soy protein. So um, it gives a lot of flexibility on what you want to make and, and texture wise too, because I have a, um, a shredded pork and a shredded chicken that would blow people away. I mean, it is, you pull it and it pulls apart just like slow cooked pork or slow cooked chicken. And you can use it in dishes. You know, like if you want to make carnitas, you would use the shredded pork. And, you know, and I fudge the names a little bit with the spelling. So it, you know, people can tell that it's not the real thing it's yeah so yeah so that's yeah that's basically the difference it's just the different proteins cool okay yeah so we had let's see another question was oh and somebody had men said never our friend step stephanie danis said never made it but willing to try i heard you can make it in an instant pot and that's what you mentioned also Mm -hmm. i'm sure some people Okay, so here's the deal with the instant pot i use that as a way of conveniently cooking seitan that has been wrapped in foil. For instance, if I'm making a roast. And so what you, the foil is used for is to uh, create a shape. So if you're, for instance, if you're making a roast, you roll it in the foil and you twist it shut. If you're making little sausages, you roll it in smaller pieces of foil and twist them shut. And it creates a shape. It also keeps outside liquids from being forced into it 
So whatever you have in the foil is how it turns out after it's cooked. So all the seasonings and everything are self-contained within that foil wrapping. I'm sure some people will open cook seitan in a pressure cooker, but I don't do that because I find that it forces the liquid in too quickly and it can result in spongy textures. So I only use a pressure cooker when I'm cooking the foil wrapped seitan. Now there's people who are very concerned about foil coming into contact, aluminum foil coming in contact with their food. So you can wrap it, pre-wrap whatever you're making with parchment paper and then wrap it in the foil. And that way it doesn't come in contact with the, the aluminum foil. So basically that's how I use the pressure cooker. Okay. So uh, we had a question from uh, one of our members, Jen Jones. She wanted to know if there's any nutritional content to the seitan. Oh, oh, absolutely. It's very high protein, although it's almost a complete protein, but it lacks lysine. So you're going to have to obtain that from other sources, uh, plant-based sources like you know beans and and nuts. Uh, you don't have to eat them at the same meal either. Apparently, you can have them at other parts, other meals during the day. But yeah, it lacks one. It lacks one amino acid. But otherwise, it's complete with the other amino acids. So yeah, very high protein, very low in fat, and relatively low in starch. There's a little bit of carbohydrate in there left over from the uh, production process of removing the starch from the uh, wheat protein. So one of our other friends, and I think this is something that you do outline really good in uh, really well in your book is about the different ways that you can make it. So we just talked about the instant pot, but what are like some different ways that you can make it? So for example, like baking, steaming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I use uh, for a lot of my analogs, I found a combination of cooking creates the best texture so um, with things like beef and chicken, um, I will um, prepare the dough and then create the shapes that I want, like cut into cutlets or, or you can even make, um, it's always fun eating things off a stick so you can wrap it around. Like if you're making satay or shish <laughs> kebab, you can wrap it around popsicle sticks. Sky, that reminds me of um, something, about, something Mary. about Mary where he says, we, more, we need more meats in a cone. <laughs> Right. It's more fun eating it. Yeah, right. I, that's funny. I know. It's just kind of fun. Well, yeah, and it's messy. You know, it's kind of like you're creating kind of a vegan chicken leg kind of thing, you know, a drumstick kind of thing. So, yeah. So then uh, so you you prepare that. And then what I do is I bake it shortly in the oven. And what that does is it creates it partially cooks the dough so that when you simmer it in the broth, the broth does not rush into the dough and it prevents it from becoming spongy. So it helps it cook very evenly and perfectly so that it comes out consistently every time. So I use a combination method of baking and simmering. Um, some of the things are like, if you're making sausages, you can use a conventional steamer because they don't need as intensive heat for a long period of time. If you're making roasts, which are thicker, bigger, Foil packages, you can either bake them in the oven or you can use the Instant Pot or pressure, pressure cooker uh, to cook them. So there's a lot of different ways to do it, you know, and those are all presented in my cookbook in Crafting Satan as to how to do that. You know, the best ways to do it for each analog. Yeah. So if someone's just starting out, like they just bought your book they're, and they're just starting out, what would you say is, and this might be putting you a little bit on the spot, 
but I know, first of all, you have a great section on essential tips and techniques. What are some of your favorite tips and techniques for somebody? Cause I, th- somebody just starting out, cause I can say this for myself too. It is a little intimidating when you're not, you're not used to, to going quite into it this much. You know, a lot of people, they purchase some of these and, but they can be heavily processed, right? They, right. They're the yeah. stuff. So I, ideally is to make your own, but it can be a little intimidating. So what are maybe some of your favorite tips and techniques for getting started? Well, I think, you know, the book really covers that well for people who are beginners because I, I take a lot of the guesswork out of it. And like I said, with the, the, the uh, combination cooking technique with like the baking and simmering, because you don't, you know, initially in my first book, it was basically you make the dough and you drop it into the simmering broth. And the term simmering means different things to different people. And people get confused like, well, how vigorously do I need to simmer this? Is it, does it need to be bubbling a lot or bubbling a little? Or, and they would get very confused by that. And then they would get mixed results because if somebody was boiling it and thought they were simmering it, it's going to come out spongy. So by using the techniques that are outlined in the book, it's kind of, it kind of does it for you. You don't really have to do so much thinking. The instant pod has worked really, really well. And I'll tell you why the the previous method of just baking, like if you're making a roast and you wrap it in foil once it gets in the oven, it gets hot. It, the dough starts to expand. It creates pressure. And if the roast is not wrapped correctly with the foil and tightly, sometimes it can rush or rupture and you'll get a big bang and create a big mess in the oven. Oh, so, yikes. right. So, you know, I had to be really thorough in how do I explain it to people how to wrap it? Because if you don't wrap it correctly, it can be a problem. So here comes the pressure cooker which solves that problem because when you use that, the pressure is exerted on the outside of the package while it's in the pressure cooker and it kind of equalizes. So you don't get that chance of rupturing. So there's just a lot of new things that kind of make it easier for people. So they don't have to do all that second guessing or trying, you know, cause it is intimidating, you know, and um, the first time you make it, but you kind of figure, you know what? It's just some ingredients. If you screw it up the first time, you just try it again. And that's how I did it. I mean, I wasted a lot of ingredients trying to come up with this stuff because I wanted it to be perfect. So sometimes that's just how it is. Yeah. So those, um, I think those things help a lot. And I try to outline everything. I offer all the different options for people um, so that they can make it easier. And everything is really broken down step by step. And I have to credit my publisher, my editor for that, because, you know, I thought my, my recipes were pretty complete the way I had written them. And she, she was like, she gave me this list and she said, no, you have to break it, break it down this way. And I, she did an amazing job. I mean, cause it's very, it's outlined very differently from how I typically write my recipes. And I was like, wow, you know, they have to, they have to kind of edit it for space in the cookbook also and it's like it's pretty amazing when you get a professional editor who knows what they're doing because mm-hmm. <laughs> before it was just it was you know i'm the i'm the cook but i'm also writing the recipes and using microsoft word to write them up and i'm just not very good with that stuff so yeah well you know, your focus a- your focus should be on creating you know the awesome recipes and then have someone help you kind of like craft the words right exactly yeah so yeah that really really helped 
Yeah, Larissa's being humble because she's an editor <laughs> herself. She doesn't oh, edit wow. cookbooks, but she edits other things. But she's she's uh, she's also, sometimes it's trying to convince people why you need an editor so you can focus on Absolutely. what you're best at, which like in your case is making the recipes, and then have someone else tell you how the best way is to lay it out so that people people understand, you know, what, or people can uh, understand what you're saying more. Because again, I think that, um, you know, you're so used to, you're kind of, you're, you're, you definitely are a pro in this area. Uh, and, but somebody who's just new to it would be very intimidated. And like I said, we've been doing the uh, interviewing and cooking and like you, I also took an online cooking course. I took the Ruby forks. Over oh, did knives. you? Oh, I cool. did at, several yeah. years ago and I loved it. And one of the things that you're so right on is that I forgive myself when I'm learn. It seems like I'm learning other things. I forgive myself when I make mistakes a little easier than for some reason, we expect ourselves to be perfect in the kitchen and we can't uh, just say like, okay, I tried that. It didn't work. I'll try it again. You know? And I learned that definitely yeah. in forks over knives. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I think you had mentioned that you did the photography for your book. Mm -hmm. I did. Wow. Yeah. Originally, yeah, and when a book publishing company approached me, um, Bob had, you know, he said, um, oh, we'll handle everything for you, you know, because, you know, just have to do a little editing of the recipes and stuff. Well, <laughs> it turned out to be a, an entire rewrite because they you know, they're very particular how they want things written out. And uh, we had to quibble a little bit on the content because there was only so much room because they were adding the photos. So we had to cut some recipes from the original manuscript. And I got a little sticky about certain things, but, um, <laughs> but we, you know, we, you know, kind of uh, came to terms with what we wanted in there and stuff. And then they, they came back and approached me and they said, well, actually we really would, prefer you to do the photos since you're so familiar with the recipes and i thought oh good grief this is going to be a lot of work now because well, i have great. A, well thanks yeah it was just a lot of work because i have a lot of old photos but they weren't a suitable they were too the i i don't know anything about photography but apparently the pixels were too small or something so i had to remake everything for the new cookbook and yeah. do all the food styling and the photography so yeah I was really yeah, well, pleased. They do. They do look. They look great, and they make everything look even tastier than you know. Just it, reading the recipes. It really does help, and you know, uh, like I said, I have my textbooks that I sell on Amazon from my previous cookbooks, but I also sell the PDFs. And the PDF format ones, I do include photos because a lot of people really have to have photos with their recipes. So I kind of give people the option now with the textbooks. You know, they're not super fancy, so there's lots of room to write in them and add your own stuff. And kind of, they're kind of like a workbook. Yeah. So this is my first coffee table cookbook. So I'm really, really proud of that. Well, it's 10 beautiful. years in the making. Yeah. <laughs> um, in your book, and I don't know if, if you discuss this in your book, honestly, I had I didn't see this part, but um, can you speak to a little bit about how it how it is to store Satan and how long does it last and can it be frozen? That kind of thing. Yeah, I usually I um generally follow regular food safety guidelines that nothing more in the fridge than 10 days, no more than 10 days in the fridge. But it, it, the cooked seitan actually lasts, I, you know, you could probably go up to two weeks um, in the fridge, but I, you know, I would say if you're not going to eat it within seven to 10 days, it's a good idea to free and it freezes very well. So all the meat analogs freeze perfectly. So I, you know, if, if you're a person of one at home and you're making a roast, that's a lot, 
you know, and you so you can freeze it and then that way you can just pull out what you need when you want it, slice it up and you're good to go. Can you, you can make the dough and then store it uncooked and then cook it. So is, is that what you're saying? I just want to, I, I just want to make sure I, I understand. I typically, no, I, you know, I haven't done that. So I typically prepare the dough and then cook it. And then uh-huh. what, whatever I've made, you can okay. freeze. Okay. Got you it. probably could do that. I don't see why not. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So, okay. That's funny that you asked. Yeah. I never really thought about that. Interesting. You're talking about that now because I'm experimenting with marbling, doing a lot of marbling in my meat analogs, you know, because if you see like a vegan steak or something, you kind of want to have that marbling in it. So I've been preparing the dough and letting it, it's been sitting in a container in the Tupperware container in the fridge for when I need it. So yeah, I guess you can prepare the dough ahead of time. Yeah. Well, I was, yeah, I was asking for the, from the lazy person perspective, because I, oh, that's know, me. I'll, I'll start a project <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. So I'll put it in the, you know, so can I make it and put it in the fridge and then cook it later? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I'm always trying to find shortcuts too. And that's the, that's the good thing about this new cookbook. And you were asking me about you know, essential tips and techniques. Also, I use a food processor a lot mm. because it really creates the textures in the dough without, without you sitting there kneading, you know, for like 10 minutes. Um, and even, even doing that manually, you cannot achieve the same textures as you mm. can a food processor. So, yeah. So I'm always looking for shortcuts and that's, what's nice about this new cookbook. It's all the shortcuts that I found over you know, the first cookbook came out, the Satan cookbook came out in 2014. So I had six years to figure out all these little shortcuts. And, um, and my group, you know, I have a, a cooking group on Facebook, the General Chef Cooking Group. And uh, my readers help me immensely with that stuff because um, they're always coming up with ideas. And I, that's how I learned about it, using the Instant Pot. I was really resistant to it at first. I thought, mm, I don't know about yeah. a pressure. Um, but yeah, they kind of turned me onto it and then it became part of the, the recipes. So do you have any recipes that you would recommend? Like if someone's just starting out to start with, like, I'm sure there's some that are much more challenging than others. Do you have like a, like a couple maybe that come up to mind that you would say, I would start with so this confidence I'm, builders. Yeah, exactly. That's a good, that's a good way to call it. That's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all the basic analogs, like the, if you just start with the beef, um, because that's simple, you're not using, you're not including two different pro you're not including the tofu it's just it's just uh weak gluten that's a really good one to start with the only the only complicated ones and it's funny because they're really not complicated once you've done it it's just when you look at the instructions at first it's kind of like wow that seems like a lot of steps but once you get the hang of it it's like it's pretty simple uh but things like bacon because it's a little more complicated because you're making the dark dough and you're making the light colored dough so so you get that marbling of the bacon so that's a little trickier and things like salami which has marbling in it um yeah i wouldn't start with things like that but meatballs and the burgers and uh the meatloaf is really simple to make uh, because that's made with textured vegetable protein and gluten but there's not a lot of you kind of mix it all together and you press it into a uh, loaf pan and you bake it, you know, so that's not that hard. So, uh, yeah, I think things like that, the basic analogs are really good to start with. Well, Sky, we've learned a ton from you on Satan. We really appreciate, um, 
you coming on the show and your book is amazing and we will have a link to it in the show notes. What are the, we'll also want to link to all the places that people can find you in case they're uh, trying to see what you're up to. And I know you had mentioned your Facebook uh, cooking group, but what other places can people find you? You know, I'm, oh, I'm terrible with social media. Um, I have a <laughs> chef page on Facebook. It's just the gentle chef. And then there's also the gentle chef cooking group. It's a closed group, like your group. So you have to, you know, request to join. Uh-huh. Um, and then I, I had a moderator and she used to keep me up to date on Instagram. She used to do my Instagram page, but I don't even know if I have an Instagram page anymore. <laughs> I think it's still there. I just thought I just, I'm terrible well, with that. And if it's there, I'll link to it. <laughs> it might be under Sky Michael Conroy or something like that. I'm not sure. I, I would have to look it up. Yeah, but it's easier to find me on Facebook. And if anything, you can uh, go to my website, thegentlechef.com, and it's got links to my cooking group and my Facebook page, I believe. So you can always find me there. And that's where you can find all of my, the whole list of my cookbooks and things like that. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for being well, with thank us. thank you. We really appreciate it. Yeah, this thank has been you. great. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Wow. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, Satan, like a lot of, when we, when we posted this in the peas and carrots, what up? When we posted this in the peas and carrots, they, we got a lot of responses because people, it's just like, there's certain things that are this kind of uh, black box <laughs> that people have no idea, yes. you know, or how to start to do that. They're very intimate. It's very intimidating. And I really appreciate how Sky made it sound really simple and yes. made it sound like something I, we can actually try. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, like you mentioned in the, um, the intro, and we talked about in the interview, these things are, it's so nice to get away from the processed uh, foods. Yes. And get more into truly, truly whole foods, plant based stuff without all the additives. I mean, process is convenient, but there's no reason that we can't learn how to do some of these things because when especially when someone like Sky breaks them down the way he does, it makes it totally doable. It does. And it reminded me too, and I I mentioned this in our interview with him is that we have to be forgiving of ourselves Mm -hmm. that to allow ourselves to make mistakes. I mean, sometimes, in fact, Remember, there was a long time ago, we used to post mistakes in our Facebook group. Like I, we had, we encouraged, we, we would start a post that everybody share something that they messed up. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think sometimes we just start, expect ourselves to be perfect. And we think, oh, if I can't do it perfectly, why try it at all? Right. And, and I mean, it takes practice, right? Right. All right. I think that does it for our episode this week. Until next time. Peace out. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Vegetarian Zen. We've created a free resource for you to show you five ways to sneak more fruits and veggies into your diet. You can download it right now by visiting vegetarianzen.com. Until next time, wishing you a happy body and a healthy mind.